a common experience is that there was an unpredictable parent or maybe a mental illness, alcoholism kind of situation in their family of origin. They didn't feel that the world was predictable. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're going to be exploring the topic of childhood influences on our personality. Uh, We know that this is a topic that is underexplored and it's easily missed, but we want to offer this conversation up to our listeners. Yeah. Whenever we first started the Enneagram, we reached out to some of our our community and ask them, hey, like, what topics do you think we need to spend a little more time in? And childhood influences and, you know, early attachment stuff was some of the first things that they really asked for. And so we want to take some time to really dive into the backstory of how our personality is informed, because a lot of it does start really early on. And yeah, it's a super interesting conversation. I'm really excited to attempt to offer some level of insight and uh, clarity to to that conversation. And it's kind of amazing because the older that I get, you know, the more that I just realize, like, I can't escape my childhood. Yeah. You know, there's just so many things that happened in my childhood that still impact me and inform who I am. And it just seems like so often if I try to get to the roots that are under a lot of what's going on inside of me, you know, a lot of my a lot of my giftedness, but as well as a lot of my my wounds and my shame, it, it's rooted in my childhood. And kids, so, are like, kids are like sponges, you know, and we don't really know what they're taking in. And I think as kids, we are just taking in the world as, as truth. And we are just, in, you know, deciding all of this stuff that was true about ourselves and the people around us. And only until later do you have a chance to like look back and say like, wait a second, like all that stuff that was happening in my childhood, like that's not super normal. And yeah, how do we how do we live in light of what we know about ourselves as kids? So a couple things that we want to say just as before we even get this episode started is the first thing is this, is that um, this is not going to be an exhaustive exploration of childhood wounds. You know, none of us listen to a podcast thinking that's the same as, you know, reading five books. Like, it's just not the same. We're not going to be able to go as in depth. We're not able to, you know, to be our listeners, counselors or anything of that sort. So, yeah. but we just, we want to give you just some introductory information to get you started uh, thinking along these lines. Uh, and then the second thing is that if you are just now joining this podcast, we don't recommend this as the first episode that you listen to. We want to recommend that you go all the way back to episode one and that you begin to work your way through uh, all the nine types and the wings and arrows uh, before you come to this episode, because we're going to be talking about things that are based off of previous things that we have shared. Yeah. And another thing to add on to that as well, even if you if you have listened to our podcast, but the Enneagram is still a relatively new topic and world that you're diving into the childhood stuff is going to unlock a lot of things like pretty quickly uh, potentially and so we don't want you to, to do that uh, without the support of a community or at least somebody that you're talking to a podcast is a one-way conversation and we want you to to feel cared for and to be able to process this stuff with others and so yeah feel free to to listen to this episode but just do so uh, with 
discernment as to like how to proceed in light of the things that we're going to explore in this episode. So we we don't want to ignore, you know, on childhood messages, we we don't want to ignore childhood messages, uh, meaning that we don't want to underemphasize how important they are. We also don't want to overemphasize. And so we're going to try to strike that balance. Uh, but we do know this. We need to understand these childhood messages, these core beliefs that we have so that God can begin to expose them, transform them and replace them with truth. And to help us with our topic today, we're joined by special guest Katie Jo Ramsey. Katie Jo is a licensed professional counselor candidate and writer. She frequently writes about the intersection of suffering, theology, and neuroscience. Uh, her work has been published by Relevant Magazine and Christianity Today, among others. And in fact, she has written Relevant Magazine's major exploratory articles on the Enneagram. She's also been trained in the Enneagram by our friends at Crosspoint Ministry, and she joins us today to help us explore the childhood messages of each of the nine types. So thanks for joining us, Katie Jo. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's start here. So as it relates to personality types, what are childhood messages and why are they important? Yeah, so childhood messages, childhood wounds uh, are language that you'll hear a lot when people talk about the Enneagram. So childhood messages are kind of a way of succinctly stating the kind of the way that we felt hurt or not seen, not heard, not safe in our formative relationships and our families of origin. And they shape the way that we see ourselves and we see the world. Wow. So each of the nine types have specific ones, um, but they're important so that we can know we see the world through this filter of pain. And I think that to first understand childhood wounds, we need to understand Basically, where does the pain that we experience and the way that we relate to one another, where does that fall within the story of the kingdom of God? So sometimes you'll hear Enneagram experts or just your friends who are obsessed with the Enneagram talk about the wound and the way that they experienced their family of origin. And, and they'll talk about the pain they incurred, maybe almost as though their parent, uh, they messed them up and they made them this way. Or I'm a four because my, my family made me this way. But really within the story of the kingdom of God, we can understand childhood wounds and childhood messages as the specific ways we absorbed and then passed on our human inability and inadequacy to love perfectly and to receive love perfectly. Yeah, so it's classic Christian theology, which is, says that all of humanity is is impacted and infected by sin, and so it's not just it's not just our parents; it's it's just what it is to be a human being in a fallen world. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super good. Um, so first, those of us people that are listening that maybe either haven't heard about their specific wounding or maybe just kind of waking up to some of that, what uh, what would you say to someone who has discovered this truth or this message about them and their family and their their upbringing? How should we begin to process and to attend to those wounds? Yeah, well, I like that you said to do this in community and to kind of tread lightly. Uh, so I think you, you need to start there with kind of um, some caution that it's, it's painful to face our wounds, uh, that it's going to make you feel vulnerable, uh, it's going to highlight some of your core feelings of shame and fear and anger or, gu- or guilt. Uh, so you need to tread carefully, but also know that that God is with you and more present than you can imagine. So I think ways to begin exploring are really to engage your life story. There's great resources out there about kind of think, and I think you guys actually have some on your website 
about thinking through the major things you've experienced, the things that have influenced your life. And I think that's really the most important place to start. And then to do that in conversation with people who are safe and empathetic. Yeah, we do. So under the FAQ uh, section on our Enneacast page on our website, we have a link to a tool that helps people map out the 20 major turning points that, that occurred in their life, both the positive and the negative. Um, and, and it really helps people begin to have a perspective uh, you know, on the on the story they've lived, on the life that they've lived. Um, Katie Joe, can we can we put too much or too little emphasis on childhood messages? Yes, both. <laughs> Definitely. I think that the I think some types are going to be more prone to put too much emphasis on childhood wounds. Uh, maybe the types like mine, like being a four who kind of want to stay stuck in our pain um, <laughs> are going to do that. Yeah. And I think some other types are going to gravitate towards minimizing the ways that they've been wounded because it's a little bit part of their makeup to want to avoid pain or vulnerability. Um, I think really the, the gospel holds them in, t- in tension that we need to both face our pain and face the hope in the story of God. And, and we need to face the ways that we personally contribute to woundedness and we perpetuate woundedness, but also that we've received and um, absorb, absorbed these wounds because of the ways other people live out their woundedness. So I think the story of God holds that intention and we have to hold it in tension too. So whenever we talk about like childhood stuff, I get a little overwhelmed because I don't have any children. And this conversation just makes me afraid to have kids because I'm afraid like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to mess them up. Like it seems like it's inevitable. Um, so how because most of the conversation around, you know, childhood influences and even just raising people in a fallen world, like little tiny humans, like so a lot of this stuff sounds like we are talking about healing the wounds that are already in place. And so is there any, is there any chance that we can prevent childhood wounds from happening or, or all of this seems like it's an, it's inevitable. So how can we, how can we be proactive against damaging the people that we care about? Right. So that is a huge question. It's one that I face with my clients all the time. They, when they start to learn about personality dynamics, they become so overwhelmed at the ways that they might be messing up their children or messing up the people around them. And I think that we all need to hear, whether we have children or not, we need to hear that there is so much grace in this message, that there, that, that God is with us, that most of us really are trying to do the best that we can to love the people around us. But because of sin, because of the fall, we all can't do that perfectly. We can't do it adequately. And so there's, there's truth that we are wounding each other. But there's also abundant grace and there's a way forward. Um, so I think that's the message people really need to hear is that there's grace. You are going to mess up. <laughs> you are going to hurt people. Uh, but you're probably and the people who hurt you probably weren't doing it intentionally. There are exceptions to that and there's trauma experiences, et cetera. But I think there, there needs to be abundant grace when we think about this topic. You know, along those lines, you know, our friends over at Crosspoint Ministry said uh, one time they said, you know, your your kids are more interested in your presence, not your perfection. Amen. Kids are not seeking after, you know, the people in their life to be perfect. And in fact, you know, one of the very encouraging things for children, oddly enough, is, you know, I've got two kids. And when I say to them, 
hey, you know what? I struggle with that too. You know what? Sometimes I sin too. Sometimes I lose my temper too. Sometimes I get frustrated and overwhelmed. Like, and I, I offer that sort of that empathy to my kids. Mm-hmm. That is actually where there's sometimes more resonance than even those times where I'm like, cool, I didn't, I didn't script my kids today. Like, yeah. you know, there's, there's just that sense of like, you're going to live close to people. Like it's going to be both sides. You're going to, you know, mm-hmm. offer good and bad to them. Right. And and it's actually like there's research that proves that when we apologize to our children or even to one another, it strengthens our attachment bond with each other more than if we had never messed up. So it's actually good. Uh, it connects people and heals people's brains towards health when we when we mess up, but then move towards our family members in grace and in um, apology, you know. Well, talk to me about this. So in, in Enneagram theory, as it relates to childhood messages, what are unconscious childhood messages and what are lost childhood messages? What's the difference between those two things? Yeah. So the unconscious childhood messages are really the the things, almost like the truths, the false truths that we came to believe about ourselves and that we see our relationships uh, in light of. And, and they're, they're false. They're, they're not true, but they're what we think are very true. And then the lost childhood message is really what we need to hear. Even today, as adults listening to this, it's what we need to hear. And ultimately, what we can only hear perfectly and adequately in our relationship with God. We need to hear it from Him. Yeah, I think that's really good. So uh, one final question, and you've, you've articulated this a little bit, but can you just elaborate more on how does the gospel seek to heal each of our childhood messages? Yeah, I think that the gospel helps us to see where our stories are broken and where we have been steeped in pain and and to face the ways that we don't love adequately and we haven't received love adequately either and that we that we can find change and healing and abundant love within our relationship with God that he help, that he comes and meets us he became one of us and he helps us to actually draw from his life and his presence so then we can offer that out to others. We can receive it within ourselves and offer it out to others. Um, so I think the childhood wounds are where we get to specifically receive his presence and his tender love. Yeah, because it's like the gospel makes its way into like the very base part of who we are. You know, it's that sense of like water, you know, flowing from the top of the mountain down to the lowest stream. And that it's like the gospel when it comes into our childhood messages, the Lord is bringing some really fundamental healing to each to each of us. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, when we come back, we're going to be going through all nine of the childhood messages for the Enneagram with Katie Joe Ramsey. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay, so Sam, there was this recent study that came out that said three out of five college students do not have a job lined up when they graduate from college. That's terrifying. So that's 60% of people that will not have a job once they graduate. At the same time, there's all these amazing nonprofit ministries that are dramatically understaffed. Like they just do not have enough people to do all the amazing work that they want to do. Man, so with both of these problems, what do we do? Okay, so we took both of those problems and we came up with an idea. And the idea was love thy neighborhood. So with Love That Neighborhood, we give young adults the real-world experience that they need. They're going to get the professional experience by being on the front lines of urban ministry and meet different people in fields that they are passionate about. 
But at the same time, all of these nonprofits are going to be able to do twice as much as they could before because they're going to have all of these wonderful reinforcements. Wow, that sounds like a great ministry. How would someone find out more? So they would head over to lovethatneighborhood.org and they can check out all the different causes that we support. When they go to apply, they get to choose a handful of those causes and then we'll pair them up with a nonprofit ministry that they love and give them the real world experience that they need. So again, all they have to do is head over to lovethatneighborhood.org and they can apply now. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take you through all nine types of childhood messages. And one of the things that we want to say is that uh, just a few minutes ago, we talked about the unconscious childhood message and the lost childhood message. But for this segment, we want to change the language a little bit. We're going to talk about the wounding message and the healing message. We, we think that that might just be a little easier to follow along. So, um, so Sam, why don't you kick us off? We're going to start off with the heart triad. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Yeah, so for type two, remember, they're the helpers. And so they get their sense of self being uh, needed and making sure that other people's needs are taken care of. And so their wounding message is it's not okay for you to have needs. So KJ, can you tell us a little bit about where that would come from in their in their family of origin? Yeah, definitely. So for two, often they experienced having to be the emotional support for one or both of their parents as children. And so that made them feel like that's how I can be loved in my family. And they felt like they they actually, in, in light of that, developed a heightened sense of being able to meet other people's needs. But what they really need to hear is that they are wanted. They are wanted just for who they are, not for what they can do. And they can find that in Christ by acknowledging that he is the one that meets their needs and they're allowed to have needs. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's just the fact that they are wanted by God. Yeah. So good. Okay. Uh, Type number three, these are the achievers. So these are the folks that are efficient. They're effective. They get things done. They're goal oriented. And the wounding message that these folks received in childhood is it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity. Um, so, uh, Katie Joe, tell us some about that. Yeah, so often threes uh, might have experienced one of their parents, usually the protective figure, as absent or kind of ineffectual, not really there, and especially not emotionally present to them. Um, and, and whether that was what happened or that's just how they perceived it, that's okay. But they learned in order to be loved in their family that they needed to achieve and kind of project this image of being a doer and having success. And so they, their healing process really involves learning they are loved for, for who they are. They are loved for themselves, that, that God sees them and loves them, not for what they do. Yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, so tell me about the type fours. You know, the fours are the creative types. They bring beauty and um, just, yeah, God's beauty to the world. And so their wounding message, um, actually, it says it's not okay for you to be too functional or too happy. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, what that means more in depth? Right. And it's funny, this one's a little, can be difficult for me to even talk about because it's my type. Uh, so fours often in their family of origin experience some sort of sense of loss or disconnections. They they perceived abandonment in their family and they kind of learned to withdraw and that maybe their emotional highs and lows were too much so they had to keep them to themselves but they also only were felt they were able to receive love through exceptionalism through making themselves seem unique and they need to learn that they are seen and loved for who they are 
as who they are from God, that he will never leave them or forsake them. He'll never reject them for being too much. Yeah, because the big thing that force tell ourselves, you know, is that no one understands us. So all of a sudden God comes and says, no, I do understand you. And I, I see you for who you are and I love you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's dig into the head triad. So uh, so Sam, kick us off. Yeah, so the type five, uh, the investigator. Remember, these are those that are really wise, really analytical, um, really, yeah, just the thinker. So... Uh, their wounding message is it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. So, KJ, can you ta- articulate that for us? Uh, so, fives often develop this sense that they can't be comfortable in the world or that their their needs aren't okay uh, because they were they felt often intruded upon by one or both of their parents. Um, often, their parents maybe would be emotionally dependent on them. And that made them develop kind of a sense of scarcity around their emotional capacity. And or another common experience for five is uh, not it's kind of experiencing neglect in their family of origin. So they had to develop an ability to just rely on themselves. So often there's a scarcity in emotional connection and relationship that they feel and they need to they need to know that that there is abundant love and uh, connection for them, that their needs can be met within God himself. So their healing message is that their needs are not a problem. Mm, That's really good. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, Okay, so uh, type six, this is the, these are the loyalists. So the loyalists, you know, these folks are, uh, are faithful, they're reliable. Uh, I always call them the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America. Um, And the wounding message that these folks have is it's not okay to trust yourself. So sixes often early in their life experience some sort of fear inducing situation. Um, Maybe it was, and it's often from a, an authority figure who maybe they previously felt, even if they couldn't consciously recognize it as, but felt that they were trustworthy. And so maybe that um, a common experience is that there was an unpredictable parent or maybe a mental illness, alcoholism kind of situation in their family of origin. They didn't feel that the world was predictable and developed this heightened ability to kind of anticipate what was next so that they could feel safe. And in that, because the world isn't predictable, they have this feeling that they can't even trust themselves to protect themselves. So within the gospel, a six needs to learn that in God and the ultimate authority figure, they are safe, that he is predictable and reliable. They probably are going to have to redefine their, their definition of safety, but that God is there for them and will always be consistent. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay. So the type seven, the enthusiast, uh, remember these are the spontaneous, the joyful type, the optimist, um, the party planning committee, as Jesse likes to call them. So their their wounding message is it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. So where would that come from in the life of a seven? Yeah. So sevens are one of the types that have a little bit of trouble uh, talking about the childhood wounds and wounding messages, because often they will describe having a really happy early life or happy childhood. But when you dig a little bit deeper, they often will uh, acknowledge that there was some sort of painful experience or fear inducing experience in their childhood that made them feel that they had to kind of take refuge in their positive feelings. Um, So often a seven has learned how to kind of diffuse their sense of fear and sadness by escaping into possibilities. 
And the seven, ultimately, they're, they're really afraid to face that pain uh, and, and to face the sadness. They want to know that God is going to be with them in their pain, that he's going to give them all the support that they need to be able to face that and to actually be able to move through it. So their um, healing message is that they will be taken care of. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so let's let's talk about the gut triad. So the gut triad, and Sam, I'll let you take it. Yeah, so uh, the type eight, the powerful person, the challenger. Um, remember, these people get their sense of self from being in control. They like to make their big visionaries. So their uh, wounding message is it's not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anyone. So um, where would that come from? An eight has experienced often a in childhood being bullied or not adequately protected in their family of origin and their kind of relational system. And so they learned that in order to feel safe and to belong in the world, that they needed to be strong. So often eights have really disowned their weakness out of a lack of safety and a lack of um, ability to face vulnerability because they learned it wasn't safe. So an eight needs to know that in God and in some and safe relationships, that they're not going to be betrayed, that their vulnerability is allowed to be seen and known, and it will not be taken advantage of. So their healing message, you will not be betrayed. Yeah, so good. So good. Okay. Um, so type nine, uh, commonly known as the peacemaker. And these folks are super relaxed. Even as I said it, Sam just closed her eyes and started to nod <laughs> off. So uh, yeah, so the the peacemakers, um, you know, the child, the wounding message that, that they received was it's not okay to assert yourself. Can you tell us some about that? Definitely. So first I have to say my husband's a nine and I think nines are amazing. <laughs> nines in their family of origin often felt overlooked. Uh, Their point of view maybe wasn't heard adequately or valued adequately, and others' needs were often placed as higher than theirs. And so they learned to actually put themselves into a subservient position uh, to really disown that they have preferences often. And really, this came out of a sense of feeling like if they assert their presence, they're going to be disconnected from the people that they love. And what they fear the most is being disconnected from those they love. And so a nine needs to know that it is worth facing the risk of disconnection because we need you. We need your presence, that you can take the risk of putting yourself out there because we actually need you in the world. And they can practice that with God uh, by knowing that he loves them no matter what, that when they assert themselves, he is not going to forsake them or be disconnected from them. Their healing message then is that your presence matters. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Okay, so the last one, the reformer, the perfectionist, these people get a sense of uh, the moral, the righteous, the right and wrong stuff. So their uh, wounding message is it's not okay to make mistakes. And so Katie Jo, um, where would that have come from in their childhood? One's often experienced having to be little adults in their families. Often they had to be people that had to almost stabilize the adults around them. Um, And they were also often really painfully criticized by someone important in their life, maybe their parents, maybe an authority figure. And so they developed this sense that they, they, they develop this ability to monitor themselves and evaluate their potential mistakes or ability to make mistakes so that they don't have to make any and experience that potential 
rejection from others. So one needs to know that God accepts them as they are right now, not in their perfection, in the perfection they long for, but in their weakness and in their all the mistakes that they might make or ways they might hurt people and they so hate that they do, God loves them there. Okay, so if you are somebody that's listening to this and you are trying to think about, you know, how does the gospel relate to all these things? You know, we, we've talked about it and you've heard it in segments, but let me just take a second and actually just give this to you directly. I want you to go into your imagination and imagine that it is just you and just the Lord and that as a loving father, he comes to you and he is saying these things to you, that he looks at you and he says, you are wanted. You are loved for yourself. You are seen for who you are. Your needs are not a problem. You are safe. You will be taken care of. You will not be betrayed. Your presence matters. And I accept you just as you are for who you are. Because that is the message of the gospel. And Jesus comes and he gives us that good news that God loves us and that he knows our weaknesses and he has come to heal us. So, uh, so we want to we keep these childhood messages in mind because um, they fundamentally shape us and drive us. And we want to allow the Lord to bring healing. Um, so when we come back, we will be playing a special game with Katie Joe Ramsey. So please stay with us. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring childhood messages. The things we experience as children, they affect us, even into adulthood. To hear an example of this, listen to our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Check out episode number nine, where the gospel meets LGBTQ. And my girlfriend and I would talk about, like, oh, this community is so closed-minded. They don't understand us. Bibles were placed on my chest, on my open hands. And almost waiting for me to respond how he's used to Christians responding. He asked me, he said, do you identify as homosexual? And I was like, oh, no. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood. Or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Okay, so Relevant Magazine just published another article called The Rise of the Enneagram, which totally sounds like a sci-fi movie. Right. Uh, and in it, they quote Chris Hewitt, author of The Sacred Enneagram, and he strongly cautions against what he perceives as a gross oversimplification of the Enneagram, which renders it little more than a narcissistic party trick, about as substantive as a BuzzFeed quiz. That was a quote. So... With that, we give you our newest segment, Party Tricks with Katie Joe Ramsey. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, so uh, so Katie Joe, here's how this segment's going to work. Sam is going to describe a scenario for you. And then you're going to describe stereotypes of each of the nine types and what they are doing in this scenario. Oh my gosh. <laughs> are you ready? Okay, sure. So yeah, this is the scenario. You've been invited to a costume party. When you arrive, you find there is a DJ, 
a dance floor, a buffet, and a small handful of people in costumes. You also find out that there are only nine other guests at this party. Each of them is a different Enneagram type. Using your powers as an author and originalist, describe for us what each of these types is doing and wearing by their Enneagram number. Oh my gosh. First of all, this sounds like hell. (laughs) (laughs) Just Um, being at a party sounds like hell or the scenario we put you in? All of it, but especially going to a party. Yeah. Wait, wait. Um, So, so don't forget it's a costume party. So, so you want to think about what, what costume uh, is each, each type wearing? So what, what costume are they wearing and what are they doing at the party? Okay. So I'll start with the two since we went by triads before. So the two is wearing, let's see. If they're progressive, is wearing a Ruth Bader Ginsburg costume just because (laughs) my two friend recently did that and went to the movie with a bunch of friends. And so she's wearing that and she's like hugging everyone and she's secretly hoping they know what she's wearing and that they think she's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. And then the three, uh, what is the three wearing? You know, the three is probably dressed like if they're unhealthy, maybe they're just dressed like a business owner, <laughs> like an executive. Yes. They're in this, like really fly, <laughs> a really fly suit uh, that looks awesome. And they're like, I'm the owner of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> yeah, I just picture the three in sunglasses. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know what like costume they would be, but I just like in this scenario, I'm envisioning like somebody like wearing like sunglasses and like a tie or something like that yeah totally that's how i envision it too and also they are talking to everyone and they're being really loud and annoying <laughs> they should be they should be passing out business cards to every person there too but the business cards should ha- should have something ridiculous on them you totally know? totally i think that's perfect all right what a- what about the four the four is like dressed in all black um <laughs> and they're like I am dressed as death. <laughs> um, and they're, they're probably like standing towards the wall, maybe in a corner, and they're talking to one person. Yes. And they're also looking at their watch and thinking, how much longer do I have to be here? Oh, my gosh. That's okay, so, so they're, basic, they're basically like death eaters from Harry Potter. Oh, my gosh. Sort yeah, of, okay. yes. But maybe that's just my version of four. So, so sorry, no offense. Um, okay, number five... <laughs> Hmm, they're probably maybe in, in the corner talking with the four. Yep. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> they are dressed. If they, if they have a sense of humor and they don't hate costumes enough, I mean, they might just be dressed like Ron Swanson Ooh, yeah. or Harry Potter. Yeah. Okay. So that's them. That's good. That's yeah. good. Also looking at their watch and want to leave. Cool. What about the six? Uh, the six. Ooh, what are they wearing? Gosh. They're a hard one. They could wear like any basic costume. <laughs> they're dressed, I don't know, as a superhero or something. They're just like, maybe they're Superman. Uh, and But they're like inwardly thinking, I could never be Superman. And they're making the rounds quietly, being nice. I'm terrible. <laughs> no, this is fun. I like it's like a classic. It's a staple. Every, every costume party has a superhero and i feel like the six is like i know this works i'm gonna do this every year yeah so it's a classic fun. yeah it's, a, it's classic. a classic totally yeah they're classic um okay the seven. Oh my gosh what is the seven wearing something very hopefully they're wearing something yes yeah hopefully because some sevens uh... some sevens would just show up with nothing on <laughs> um yeah gosh i'm having a hard time like finding something bold enough for the seven um 
maybe a female seven is dressed like a fairy. I don't know, but I don't, I think I know, know mostly male sevens. I just can't think of, maybe they're dressed as like Lance Armstrong, something like that. Hmm. Okay. And okay. They are, they're like, also like the three talking really loud and making lots of joy- jokes. They're surrounded by people laughing with them and sometimes at them. So, uh, okay, so a uh, quick, quick side story. I knew a seven that was, uh, he came to a costume party that we did and his uh, wife dressed up as Anna Nicole Smith and he dressed up as the elderly guy that she married and he oh, he no. stayed in the wheelchair all night no. long refusing to get up, even <laughs> oh getting into the middle of the dance floor doing dance moves like from his wheelchair no. and all evening long. That's that- funny. I was thinking thinking about uh, sevens would either go all out in like a costume party or they would like show up late and be like, hey, guys, I'm here. I heard it was a party and they like would have totally just like neglected the costume aspect, but they were just like there to have fun. And they're just themselves because they bring the party. That's what I would think about the people I know that are sevens. Yes. Either it's like all or nothing. Yes. Okay. so uh, uh, the so the eight bring us the eight. Oh, gosh. Okay. Hmm. If the eight has a sense of humor. Maybe they're dressed as like a WWF wrestler. Yes. <laughs> and, and they also are talking to a lot of people and they're probably drinking something unless they're sober, like multiple somethings maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're just having a great time. <laughs> that's All awesome. right. That's good. That's good. What about the nines? Where are the nines? Uh, ooh, the nines. Really, they could be anywhere, couldn't they? You're right. Um, <laughs> Where are you most likely to find a nine? Uh, by the food. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've been to our you've been to our staff our staff parties here because that is where you'd find Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably where they are, and they're probably having a good conversation with someone, making someone feel loved. And gosh, what are they wearing though? Because my nine husband would like not be caught dead in a costume ever well it makes yeah. me think it makes me think of the office you know jim like always just wears like very minimalist He's, costumes yeah. you know i for i for halloween I, I try to recreate something that's already in my wardrobe and i just tell people this is what i am like surprise like but i put very little effort into halloween it's just right. it's always a coincidence if i have something that works that year so yeah that seems that feels true yeah it feels true the costume has to it's understated and subtle Yes, yes, 100%. Yes. And probably like sneaky funny. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I know this is hypothetical, but I'm taking it as true for you me. You just felt so encouraged I by did. that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, yeah, last also, one's the ones. Okay, yeah, the one, oh gosh. Hmm. Uh, the ones dressed up as Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, and good. And they are using their wand to just like point at people aggressively (laughs) (laughs) yes um and also if also if if they aren't sober they're at the drink station uh getting something to drink because they feel a little too tense for a party because they've got a lot of work to do and they feel guilty about being there that's That's good good. that's good that's good you're not wrong this feels like a fun party (laughs) you're not wrong also i feel like i need to apologize to all of your listeners because i just totally like stereotyped you all and it's terrible yeah (laughs) well it's not our fault this has been party (laughs) tricks with katie joe ramsey okay so katie so katie joe uh we ask every guest that comes on the show five final questions and so we're gonna do that now 
Yeah, question one, what actress would play you in a movie? Oh my goodness. I don't really like know actress names, but I wish that the whoever the person is that is April Ludgate on Parks and Rec, I want her to be me. Oh, um Yeah, Aubrey, she's awesome. Aubrey Plaza. Yes, Aubrey Oh yeah, Plaza. that is her name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I want her to be me. Yeah. That's fun. Okay, if we had a phone that could call your ten year old self, what would what message would you want them to know in their childhood? It is okay that you are friends with your books more than you are with real humans. And someday you will have friends. Oh, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's cute. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question three. How can friends and loved ones affirm someone in light of your childhood story? Oh, gosh. That is like a massive question. I think they can affirm me with my story by taking the time to listen to the things that I'm really passionate about and then not judge, like tell me that they are not judging my emotional highs and lows and that they, they benefit from them. That would be super affirming. That's good. Um, how does the gospel transform your childhood wounds? So the gospel transforms my childhood uh, wounds by helping me know that I am seen and accepted by God for who I am. Um, I, I spent most of my life uh, thinking that I was just like a total weirdo and secretly being afraid <laughs> that people were going to figure that out and just completely reject me. But to know that I am kind of weird, but God loves me as I am in my weirdness is super healing. Yeah. I mean, put it's a funny spin on it, but yes, that's really important. Yeah, yeah. that's no, that makes good. sense. That's good. Okay, last question. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality? Yeah, so one that I hold dear currently um, is from Psalm 126, uh, verse 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Uh, I've, I think... That gives me so much hope because a lot of my life is dealing with suffering and, and facing pain and helping other people face their pain. And I know that that is what eventually brings joy and that that's God's promise to me and to others. Yeah. What a beautiful picture. Yeah. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Hey, well, Katie Joe, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun and really, really insightful. We really appreciate just the nuance and the gravity that you've brought to this, this, you know, often very difficult conversation. So thank you so much for uh, contributing today. Thank you. Yeah. It's been just wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you to our special guest today, Katie Jo Ramsey. To read more of Katie Jo Ramsey's writing or to learn more about her therapy work, follow her writing on Instagram or Twitter or head over to katiejoramsey.com. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their many awesome, fantastic, life-changing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. 
Also today, the content for the childhood wounds, we got that material from Wisdom of the Enneagram. That's by Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson. Yeah, our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. <laughs>